We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek C. Apollo with my co-host, my partner in crime, the head coach of the Bakersfield Drillers. I had to say it just one time today. Get a little bit of an eye roll from you. This is former Los Angeles Rams defensive back Michael Stewart. We are getting closer and closer and closer to training camp. I'm starting to get itchy, judging from our brief uh, Facebook messaging earlier. It sounds like you're starting to get a little anxious, too. I'm getting excited. I'm getting really excited. Football is just around the corner. You can start to live it and breathe it all over again. And for that, we are starting to look now at our positional previews. But first, before we do, got to talk to Michael. How you doing, bud? Hey, man, I'm doing real good. D.C. and Ram family, uh, all is well, man. Had a great uh, 4th of July. Hope you did as well and everyone uh man and just uh, as you said man get excited uh you know high school wise we're getting close we're getting to our dead period here we'll take a couple weeks off mandatory by our cif out here uh, and then we'll get started back on july 29th but that means we'll be close to camp time so man i'm excited and the kicker there is you know when they kick off for camp the rams are kicking off for camp so it's all just kicking off it's happening it's Absolutely. happening, as they say, it's going down. It's going down. All right, folks, this episode is sponsored by Jim Hawk and his book, Hollywood's Team. 
Thank you so much, Jim. We'll get a little bit more into his book a little bit later. We also remind you we're anywhere podcasts can be found, including Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Apple Music. We are everywhere. We also would really appreciate a five-star review on Apple Music. It helps us move up the charts. And don't forget about the other shows on our network, Clear Rams Uncensored, Butting Heads, and, of course, Norm Hightower's new show is on the way. It's just coming down the pike. We have a new contest underway, although it's been underway for about a month. I guess it's not new anymore, but we'd love to get your feedback on the show. So if anywhere, you can leave feedback, but most importantly, Apple Music, once with the 200 five-star reviews, one lucky winner will get a $75 gift to NFLshop.com. That's how it works. Just head over to iTunes, which is, again, Apple Music. Leave a five-star review. Send us an email at ramstop1945 at gmail.com with a copy of your entry so we know who to reward. And we'll also read your feedback on the show. Again, it's just a way for us to get our name out there. And quite frankly, if we deserve it, if you think we're doing a good job, then please do. If not, then I would I understand why you feel that way. Just let us know. I mean, give us some feedback. We want to be better. Mike, you want to be better? You want to be better at this whole podcast? Going to be thing? better, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. man, great. Let's, yeah, so let's be expert. We want to be we want to be the best out there. So help us be that way. And uh, again, don't be afraid to send some some feedback at Rams Top nineteen forty five at gmail Other little things you want to get out there. Don't forget the Rams Uncensored Twitter pool party is coming up here at the end of the month. They have a T shirt on sale. Get a hold of Tommy for that one. You can find him on Twitter. The order she is up there. And also, don't forget, we are have a fundraiser for our staff member, Dom Samara, that has been underway since July 4th. Apparently, I didn't even realize it. I put it out there on his birthday. So we made this guy's birthday. We made Dom's birthday. And we've raised about a little over $2,800 to help him and try and get some medical treatment. So uh, thanks so much for that. You can find my article on it. At Ramstalk.net, you Turf Show Times is supporting us. They wrote an article for it. Downtown Rams has been supporting us. Locked on Rams and Cam DeSilver over there at Ramswire. They've all been on our side here trying to help Dom out. He's a great dude, and we really appreciate it. Dom even posted some pictures earlier to kind of let people know, you know, for real what the problem is. And let's just say it's it's saddening. I mean, this is a, a person who, man, he's a heck of a guy. So it, again. Last time I mentioned this podcast, but please consider uh, consider sending some a little bit his way. We really appreciate it. All right, so here we go, Mike. Today we are looking at the quarterback position for the Rams. We're starting to head down that area now where we're going to start breaking down the positions one by one. What we know in coming camp, and we know we have four quarterbacks coming to camp this year. I'm guessing. Well, we know two will make. The the roster obviously i don't know about a third and i think we may even see a surprise there in terms of who that third is the four quarterbacks are brandon allen john wolford blake bortles and of course jared goff i think really breaking it down i guess we're going to start with brandon allen we've seen him some in preseason in the past he's been kind of a mainstay in the roster for the last couple of years his draft report coming out of college was he has an NFL arm. He has the ability to be a backup. His frame, his body frame, isn't what you'd want in a, in a long-term starter. And uh, we've seen, I think, I think we've seen that when he's been in games. He's he's got an arm. He can't. I don't think he can make every single throw you look for, but he is efficient and does a decent job when called on. We saw John Wolford during the AAF. And, of course, we know Blake Borles and Jared Goff. I think first first things first, what were your thoughts on Brandon Allen's performances when you saw him? And uh, what kind of growth do you think he needs to have to make the team this year? Well, you know, the thing is, with every quarterback that comes into the league, you want to see improvement. Uh, the thing that I think that uh, I feel Brandon Allen has over maybe the other quarterback that he's probably battling for for the uh, third position is the fact that he's actually been on this Rams roster knows the the ins and outs of the practice schedule the temperament of the coaches should know the offense pretty well at this point Uh, but competition can always push you ahead or you know you somewhat fall behind in a choking but you know he played at arkansas you know he did real well there to a degree he lost some of his uh top tier receivers uh towards the middle of that season his i think his senior year was and and heavily relied on the tight end but uh 
came out of, you know, Arkansas as an efficient guy, you know, obviously got drafted. What was interesting is he was on the Jaguars at one time, too. So we'll see how him and uh, Bortles, if, if they've had any type of connection and uh, being able to help maybe Bortles get along quicker. But that'll be interesting. But I think overall, he just has to continue to improve. But now he'll technically have real competition for that third position. So we'll see. I'm really interested in seeing how he grows because I think it's a little bit different. We've got to remember that practice squad rules are different than, you know, in terms of you can't, I think once you have three years service time, and I think he's at three years now. So I don't believe he can even be on the practice squad this year. They either have to carry him on the roster as a third quarterback or he can't be there. So that's going to be a problem concerning Brandon Allen. So there's a chance that even if he's the better quarterback, he'll be let go because you don't have a roster spot for him. And you can't keep him on practice squad. I'm pretty sure yeah. he's out of time there. I think he spent what the last two years as a as a as a um, as a member of a roster, either as a practice squad. So if he's entering his third year. That's the case. Yeah. Well, actually, I believe this will be his fourth season. So I believe you're right. You know, you're talking about now being at that uh, four year minimum for you know veteran. I'm drawing a blank, but anyway, yeah, I, don't, I, I agree. I don't, I don't know that he could be on a practice squad again unless he has to get cut and goes to another team. But I think being at that four-year mark is going to be dangerous. But, yeah, that's a great point. If if they're lacking a, ra- a roster spot, especially uh, for quarterback, typically they carry two. Word out here that they're probably going to carry three. Three and three, you bring up a great point. The third one would probably be the gentleman that just came over from the AAF, Walford, and that would probably be the third guy. So unless he can out and out, typically they're not going to carry three guys each week because they usually like to put somebody down uh, that week. Well, they could. He could be on active roster and just be down for the game, but that would be another roster spot. So a lot of it plays on, you know, how the roster shapes out overall. So the actual rules for NFL practice squads are 10 players. For that 10-player squad, you can have four players on that squad with two-year experience, and you only get three permissible seasons of practice squad service. And we're seeing on the roster three years, or two years, three years. So I don't know where the gray area is with Brandon Allen, but he may or may not, I guess what the wait for the Rams do, but he may or may not be eligible for a practice squad. And that's what my concern is with him in terms of competition with John Wolford. Yeah, absolutely. It will be interesting to see which way the Rams go in regards to, again, that third position. But I'm sure a lot will bear down on the roster uh, makeup and composition in regards to overall and how many quarterbacks they may end up keeping mainly check with a couple of the sources there see if they could tell us what his eligibility is in terms of Allen, though i did like the way he when he given very limited opportunities in preseason i like the way he would step in i like the fact that the the rams trusted him with their offense when you know when they had a chance to bring him back they brought him back i Look at John Wolford, though, and the way he performed in the AAF, which, by the way, folks, I know it was over pretty quickly, but the quality of football was actually pretty decent. I don't know if you watched any AAF games before that league just collapsed. Did you? Yeah, yeah, I got a chance to see uh, a few games or parts of a few games, and absolutely, they they did have a pretty pretty good quality product that that were out there. Guys are out there playing hard. You know, actually, some really good players trying to get uh, maybe a second or third chance to maybe get on an NFL roster eventually. Uh, but a guy like Wolford, with the closing down of the league, has now allowed him an opportunity. So I'm sure he's going to try to take full advantage of it. He was the AAF's leading passer at one point there. He directed the Hot Shots offense very well. I like his chances to potentially beat out Allen for a roster spot if it's even there and and or go to the practice squad. I think that he's the kind of guy who brings enough with him to the locker room, to the field, that Sean McVay can probably mold him into at least a reasonable backup into this league. Well, it's interesting when you look at uh – 
a, a number of his like the three cone and short shuttle. He had some of the top times that would have been for a quarterback had he been at the combine. So when you're looking at this newfangled offense, when you think of a Patrick Mahomes, you know, a guy who has ability to get outside the pocket, Russell Wilson, those type of guys, I would imagine Sean McVay could have, you know, what they call specialized packages for a guy with his skill set. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what he does. I would not be surprised at all if Wolford beats out Allen. At some point here, with Allen being as far along in his career as he is, there may be more of an upside for Wolford in terms of developing him long term. Vice and a guy like Allen's been around a little bit longer and may be starting to head towards what an evaluator may see as his, as a ceiling. What's his ceiling? And that would be kind of my perspective on what we could see in camp on those two. Well, there's no doubt, and when you look at it, you figure Blake Bortles. Because when you look at their ages, you know, Blake Bortles is a couple years older than Jeff. So they're somewhat close in age. So I, I don't see a guy like Blake Bortles wanting to, to sit behind, you know, Jared Goff for the long haul. I think he would, he's going to use this year as somewhat of rebuilding, retooling, reshaping of his image, that type of thing, and look to get out of here. So let's just say Blake Bortles isn't on the roster. Now you're looking at who do you want to be the number two guy? And that's where I think the Rams will really be evaluating at this third quarterback position. Yeah, and that's why I kind of look at Wolford and say he's a dark horse to make this roster and or beat out Allen for any kind of area on the depth chart because I think that is a really big point to make here is, is who backs up Goff in the future. I know before in previous podcasts way, way long ago, you mentioned the possibility the Bortles might be around longer than a year. But it doesn't mean that he won't try. It depends on how he develops. What if he does really well with McVay? What if he happens to get some playing time this year? Which, by the way, heaven forbid, we don't want that. Okay, we want we want our golf on the field. But what if he does get some playing time this year and he does well? He's going to want his own team, and this will never be Bortles' team. This will always be Goff's team. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I went back and looked at, looked at the draft that Bortles came out of. So you're talking, he was... He was a third overall. Then you had a guy named Johnny Manziel, Teddy Bridgewater, Derek Carr was in that, Garoppolo, Logan Thomas, Tom Savage, A.J. McCarron we still hear of. And so a couple of other quarterbacks were on there, but he's looking at that saying, yeah, not even two years ago, I was, you know, I got a, a big extension for my play. I still can play at that level given the right circumstances. That's what I would figure a guy like Bortles is thinking. And when you look at him overall, I mean, you know, he's going to be one of the biggest quarterbacks on the roster. He's at 6'5", 236. Jared Goff is listed at 6'4", 222. So when you look at a guy and just size and overall a quarterback, I mean, that guy has some size and, you know, he's able to make some throws when he was in there. And at one time he was kind of – up there among the elites uh, the year he did really well in getting them to the uh, deep into the playoffs. Yeah, but Mike, you know, he's, he, that was one year, and he had a heck of a defense <laughs> behind him. The big complaint That's with true. Blake Bortles is what has he done outside that one year? And, of course, another complaint with him is even in that one year, he really, well, for lack of a better term, wet the bed at the end there against the Patriots. I look at that and I go, who is Blake Bortles? What can he be at this point? What at this age can he? But can he escape the problems he had in Jacksonville? Because I mean, just doing research on it, you and I—I I mean, we had some some articles we looked at today, did some more reading on him, and it's pretty clear that Jacksonville did not handle him properly. A, he was not given the proper, let's just say, tutelage in Jacksonville. He didn't have an offensive mind like Sean McVay kind of working with him and developing him. But it's also the players' responsibility as well to jump in there and take hold of their own development to some degree. So how much of this is Bortles' fault? How much is the coaching staff's fault? And and what do you think can happen with him under McVay this year? Yeah, and, and that's where I think we'll get a real good indication seeing him this year in in the preseason you know again you know we we, we're going to say unless something crazy happens you know golf is going to be under center when we start so he should have a a lot of time to 
play and show us and show everyone what he can or can't do in a McVay-style offense, a guy who's known for developing quarterbacks, you know, offensive game-mindedness and all those things. So he has a great opportunity to, again, resurrect his career, if you will, even in a backup role. We've seen over the last number of years guys who have been those secondary players be able to, you know, get some some good good money or a good deal for them uh, at another place when they're not going to be a backup where they were. I just don't know if that's going to happen for Bortles. And I don't, I don't mean in a negative way. There are a lot of quarterbacks out there who have come in this league who had a lot of, how do I say it, a lot of, uh, eh, come on, help me out with the word here. They had a lot of expectations on them. They were high in terms of they were blue chippers. There you go. They were blue chippers. They were, these are guys who were believed they're going to be stars. When you're drafted number three in the overall, number three overall in the draft, it's the thought is you're going to be a star, and he's never lived up to those expectations. But what's even more to me is there were there were many people, many experts who said, "Hey, Jacksonville, you're nuts for taking this guy at three. He's always had those question marks from him. Always had those labels over him. There were always the thought that hey, he's not who you think he is." So I'm not even sure that Bortles could be a successful starter anywhere. But given his arm, given his experience, there's no reason he can't be a quality backup in this league at the very least. Yeah, no doubt. But as we often know that a guy like him being picked number third overall, he played early and probably earlier than should have. You know, a lot of these guys are playing, you know, we'll see that happening with Kyler Murray. He's the number one guy. He's going to be playing on Sunday regardless if he's ready or not. Is that his fault? Is that the team's fault? Well, no, that's just kind of how the system is now built, that if you draft a guy that high, man, we want to see him on the field, let him take his lumps and learn. The danger is it could be like uh, David Carr. You know, you take your lumps, and the next thing you know, you're out the league. So the question for, as you're you're posing, is which you know there was a game show that used to come on years ago. I'm dating myself. It was called to tell the truth, and so we'll figure out what is going to be the true uh, Blake Bortles. I would think pretty easily this year and then hopefully if we have some games like we had last year where you know the starters only had to play in that first half even once we got into you know into league that you know we're doing well enough that they're playing some backups we'll get a chance to see a Blake Bortles in that that role as well which will give you a little bit more evaluation when the real real bullets are live and I mean again I, this is not the meant to be, hey, crack on Blake Bortles. I think a, a lot of us were happy the Rams got him to be the backup quarterback here. I do believe that the Jacksonville Jaguars, I believe they failed miserably in developing him. If they saw talent there, they definitely didn't develop it properly. And it doesn't mean he was innocent. I still believe, like I said just minutes ago, that a team is only going to take you so far in developing you. You have to take some of that yourself. I don't believe he did that himself. But he's got talent, at least enough to be a backup. And then you go with Jared Goff here. And Jared Goff is our guy. He faces questions. He's faced questions from day one. There are some similarities to Blake Bortles. Here's the difference. Jared Goff has at least shown us that he can put the numbers in two in his two full seasons. And yet he still gets all kinds of questions. So let's break it all down. We're going to acknowledge the fact that there there is some criticism there. So where do you think, just based off what you've seen in his two full seasons under center, that he needs to show improvement this year in his third year with McVay? Well, I think the biggest thing for Jared is going to be, can he continue to improve? You know, now there's plenty of tape. There's going to be defenses who are now gunning to stop him, knowing what he can actually do now. And so the thing is, can he now play at a higher level, given that there's going to be even more pressure, more defense, more secondary play, linebacker blitzing, all those types of things? You know, can he now make the right checks at the line of scrimmage? Can he now, uh, you know, put the offense in the, the right plays and different things like that, given his now what should be a good grasp of the offense. You know, at this point in time, he should be able to 
I don't want to say, you know, do it with his eyes closed, but he should be pretty close to that. And he's had the same guys around him now, uh, especially at the receiver position and running back position, those type of things. So it'll be uh, interesting. And, and one thing they always do or we've always known is at the NFL level is competition. Again, it can bring the best or the worst out of you. So. I think that would be part of bringing a, a Blake Bortles in as well, you know, a guy to re- re- resurrect his career, but also to actually compete as a starter, and then you see where the chips may fall. Well, you, I, I was getting a little confused because the first part of the explanation, I asked you, what is he going to do to show improvement? And you said, well, he needs to improve. And I was like, well, what are you saying? And then a little well, bit I mean, Well, yeah, again, I, mean, I mean, you're saying, hey, what I'm hearing you say is, dude, you got to make better reads at the line. You have to be able to see – you need to see things more clearly. You have to make better reads on, on receivers going downfield. Your, your progressions need to be quicker and cleaner. And I think you're right. Am I, am I hitting them? Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because what's going to happen is defensive now, they've seen him. So they're going to figure out how to disguise coverages a little bit and those type of things. They're going to figure out, you know, who – what receiver to take away, you know, per se. So he's got to be able to now know, oh, okay, they're going to take away Robert Woods. Well, you know, Brandon should be the guy I should be hitting or vice versa. Or maybe it's the third option or maybe it's the tight end. Or maybe it's I just take the check down with Todd Gurley, you know, checking through the line or, you know, swinging out the backfield. So those are the kind of things that, that you do as opposed to, Oh, I had a great year. Well, now I'm going to be the home run hitter. Now I'm steadily going for the home run and coming up short. So the thing is, he's got to be in a position where he's still now a seasoned veteran, Tom Brady style. He'll take what the defense has given him. But once you make a mistake, that's where he he capitalizes on something big. And you just nailed it right there because we can just go back to the Super Bowl. And Brandon Cooks in the back of the end zone, that was there. And he saw it. He just saw it late. And he had right. a couple of throws in that game. They were there. They weren't giving him those throws for much of the game. But when they were there, he had his chances, and he saw them. He just didn't see him quick enough. And to me, that's a, a quarterback maturity thing that still has to happen in the NFL. And don't and nobody here can tell me that hasn't happened to any every NFL quarterback. Every NFL quarterback that even Patrick Mahomes, as quick as he got on the scene, still has to to really grasp all that and see it. Every quarterback has to do it, and everybody is going to do it at their own pace and speed. For Jared Goff now, to me, that's the transition I want to see. I want to see how quickly now will he be able to see Cooks open the back of the end zone when the when the pocket's collapsing and people are coming at you, because that's what defenses are going to do now. They're going to come at him, and a lot of the time, the numbers showed it weirdly that he did a lot better many times getting out of the pocket and moving, but yet... It's a weird paradox because a lot of times he's being pressured and in cases like the Bears game and some of the Lions game and some of the Eagles game and, of course, the Super Bowl, we saw him wilt a little bit. That has to change getting into this next year. This offense is going to be good, but it won't be good enough to win a Super Bowl without Jared Goff taking that next step. No doubt, no doubt. But the point you're making is one of the keys on defense is – to get the quarterback off his spot, if you will. You just don't let him take his normal five-step drop, sit back there, or seven-step. Okay, I'm one, two, three, I'm looking at all my reads. Oh, I can deliver that. No, we want to get him off the spot, make him have to feel pressure, and the best, no matter how great, I mean, we saw that happen to Brady. You know, times when you allow him to sit back there, oh, he'll pick you apart. Drew Brees, he'll pick you apart. Mahomes, being a young kid, he picks you apart with the scrambling Billy Russell Wilson. So all quarterbacks, the great ones, they have something unique that they do. But the thing is, we all know we say pressure busts a pipe. So how much can, how effective can a quarterback really be when they're under real pressure? So that's when you got to be able to take a step above Jared Goff. Be under real pressure and still be able to make the play when necessary. That was the one thing that Kurt Warner did during the Super Bowl. Yes. 
that you know, they call it, John Madden used to reference the kill Kurt drills that he used to have when he was in Marine football. And I, I think of that and go that Kurt Warner faced a ton of pressure in, in a lot of ways later it caught up to him in his Rams career. The yeah. Mike March offense basically will put your quarterback at risk. It will. Yes. Okay. And it also gives your quarterback a chance to be great. So there's give and take with that offense. I and mean, people pick on Mike March a lot, but that's the give and take with any offense. And Jared Goff is going to have to do that to a degree because teams know now how to get him, and he's going to have to grow beyond that. But we can't forget what this guy is good at, too. I mean, as much as people have come down on him, he's a solid leader. We saw that in the NFC Championship game. We saw numerous times that when given time, there aren't many people in this game who can throw a beautiful ball like he can. I mean, I mean, some of those throws he made this year to Brandon Cooks, to Cooper Cup, to Gerald Everett. I the one I always reference is the Vikings game. It's when you really realize he's not a system quarterback. Everybody says he's a system quarterback. He's not. Look at the throws he made in that game. That's a perfect example. There's several others out there. The Vikings one is the easiest one. But that's when you know the kind of throws this guy can make. And that kind of tells you, if you can develop the other parts of his game, you have yourself someone really special here in Jared Goff. Well, what you're talking about, D.C., is simply, again, this is still a team sport. And so, given the time, he can make the throws. We've seen that. And even under some duress, he can still make those throws. But since it's still a team sport, it still takes everyone receiver run the correct route at the at the timing and the right depth you know lineman you know keep your guy off your quarterback you know at least three seconds you know and and whatever else you know let's get the snap up and into the quarterback's hand on time so all those things being a play you know coach mcveigh let's call the right play at the right time so that it's not tipping the hand to the defense so you put all those things together now you have sustainable drives. You have drives that end up in scoring. Uh, now that puts pressure on the opposing offense. And then when all those things come into play, then wins result because coaching is working, playing is working, making plays are working. We're making plays when we're supposed to or need to. Uh, defense is getting turnovers or three and outs, uh, getting the ball back to the offense. So, all those things being said, it works hand in hand. It's tough sledding when you're always under duress as a quarterback or you're always playing from behind and trying to come back. So all things being said, if everyone, as we say in the three phases of the game, do does their job correctly, then there's a high likelihood the Rams will have a great record and be deep into the playoffs again. Well, just in terms of game planning, I think the Rams are to help make him successful. They're going to have to get the running game going, not just inside but at outside. They have a ton of running backs now who can do that. It's not just Todd Gurley anymore. Malcolm Brown showing capable, and Daryl Henderson. Man, I'm telling you, I'm I'm really excited to see what they can do with him. Get these get these guys running outside. Pass blocking has to improve. We're going to see that early. It's going to be very, you know, the Saints come, they, they rush the passer. We know the Panthers are going to come after him. We know the Seahawks are going to come after him. Those are all games that are going to be early. We want to see how well this young offensive line, especially in the interior, can hold up against that. If they can do that early, Goff's going to have a great year. They, those are things they have to do to make him successful. I, I think what really bothers me the most, Michael, is that Goff took a lot of heat this year at certain points. For some things that were beyond his control, yes, he made mistakes. Yes, he made mistakes, but he's, in many of those cases, is not going to be in position to make those mistakes if he had his teammates doing their job a little bit better. And I'm reg- I mean, the offensive line, I think, in a lot of cases late in the year, in pass blocking, wore down some. And that's really what I'm referring to. And I would like to see that per- perfected a little more this year, fixed up a little more to keep this guy protect it as long as you can. And anybody anybody can look good behind a great offensive line. And in case of Jared Goff, he can be amazing as we've seen when he has a great offensive line. Well, you know, DC, you make a great point. I mean, you look at those games early on over those, say, the first six, the first eight games of the season when the running game was really kind of at max output. I mean, those games were very different 
than the ones down the stretch late when the running game wasn't as effective. Uh, so that right there, again, your good running game is going to open up. Obviously, you know, Coach McVay likes to do a lot of play action. But any defender knows if the running game is not going, all that play action is not really play action. However, if the running game is going, you have to come up and acknowledge that running back Oh, it's play action, but now because you've had to come up because they're running it down your throat, that's going to open up the pass game a lot more. So, again, you know, I think we're saying the same thing in regards to every man doing their job, you know, at a high level is going to make, obviously, the quarterback. The thing I, you know, I, I guess I don't like overall is quarterback gets a lot of the pat on the back when things go well but then a lot of the blame when things don't go well that's why i look at the blake bortles and go the rams must know something or believe something a little different than what is known because you know they had some other options that they could have gone with Mm -hmm. but they went with this guy for a reason yeah and, and that's why i don't hold bortles responsible for everything i believe there were some failures there i would like to see if he could do it mcveigh I'd like to see that because he's always faced his question marks. I remember him coming out in the draft in Central Florida, and and people thought the Jags were nuts for taking him there. But he has – no one's questioned the physical tools for Bortles. It's always been up here in the head, and it's also been the work ethic part of it. That's been the concern. In terms of going back also to the running game, you mentioned the running game not as well at the end of the year. I mean, I want to clarify a little bit because I think what you're saying here because – the running game with C.J. Anderson was actually very good, but the problem is the Rams yes. could not, for the life of them, especially in big situations, they could not run outside. They were, we don't forget, we were running a lot of wide receiver end rounds to try and get outside. We had problems running the outside, especially when Todd went down. So I think what you're, what I think with the running game, you want a running game that can go in every direction and be successful. You want going outside, you want going inside, you want to be able to stretch the field, and the more you can do that, then you're starting to see an offense that can can keep surprising you. The Rams operate on deception. Taylor Colsey's book on that really illustrates that. If you haven't read his book, do it. Great job on his part to show how much the Rams focus on deception to get things done. And a running play sets up a passing play. A passing play sets up a running play. And if you're doing that, then you're going to be successful in that offense. They have to run outside better. And that's what the Patriots really did well in the Super Bowl is they prevented the Rams from getting outside those tackles the Saints did a solid job of it as well. And in both those games, the Rams' offense was not as successful as it could have been, especially the Super Bowl. Yeah, and, and that's what I mean. When Todd Gurley was running, we call it the stretch play. You know, that's getting outside the tackle, you know, with the ability to either get it further outside or just take it right off the edge and then make something happen. With C.J. Anderson, yeah, he was definitely effective, but he was like, we're going to run the ball down your throat whether you like it or not so that kind of makes it a little bit one-dimensional now it just becomes you know pad on pad big boy on big boy let's see who wants it the most but you know cj is pretty much going to be inside the tackles downhill running which can prove effective when you need to just grind it out at the end of the game but the way they want to open up the passing game is off of that stretch play, now you have the play action, and a lot of times you would see the boot off of that, and Jarrett would come around and then hit somebody on the backside, deep side post, or something like that. So that's kind of what I'm talking about early when when they had that outside running game going. All right, folks, so there you have There's our quarterback breakdown. I like our quarterbacks this year in terms of what can happen. I, the Bortles move is a great one. I'm interested in seeing how Wolford develops. Don't be surprised if there's some shakeups there at the number three slot. Uh, for, folks, it's getting to be close to that time. We have one more segment here for you, and then we'll be head on our way. But before we do, we do want to go ahead and give a shout to our sponsor, Jim Hawk's Book Hollywood's Team. I'm telling you, it is a great resource for anyone who's addicted to L.A. Rams history. Check it out. Hollywood's Team, great glam in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out some story of his father and the team he played for in an era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers, 
Rebound plays like Norm Van Brocklin, Elroy, Crazy Hirsch, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story spent the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawks book online at HollywoodTeen.com and on Twitter at HollywoodTeen. It's available both a hardback and electronic format, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Oh, and guess what? This thing is out on paperback September 6th, less than two months away. So if you like it in paperback, you might carry it with you. There you go. I've read it cover to cover. It's a great read. It supports Homeboy Industries, which focuses on getting people out of the gang life and into being productive members of society. Check it out. Hollywood's Teen, Grit Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. It's worth your time, folks. Seriously. Check it out. All right. So, for our next tour on the league visit, we have this Fox 910 and Locked On on Cardinals host, Bo Brack. To give us the lowdown on what the heck went on with the Arizona Cardinals in the offseason and where they're going this year. Check it out. It is Bo Brack for the Cardinals. All right, folks, I am here with Bo Brack for the Locked On Cardinals podcast and the Fox 910 in Phoenix. Bo, how you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Ready to talk some Arizona Cardinals, LA Rams football. Uh, this should be a lot of fun here. I. I really want to just ask right away, how do you evaluate the 2018 Cardinals? And really, hmm. how could a team that was a playoff contender just two years ago collapse so quickly? Yeah, I mean, the roster was just an absolute just disaster the way it was constructed by Steve Kimes, who somehow held on to his position. And Michael Bidwell, the team president, CEO, had decided to kind of roll the dice and stay with the guy that he's been building this team with ever since he kind of took over the reins from his father so many years ago. And uh, Steve Keim just put this team, Steve Wilkes, the head coach at the time, in a position to basically fail looking at the quarterback position as they tried to transition from Carson Palmer, of course, the head coach, Bruce Arians. They just really didn't do a very good job as far as player personnel was concerned. Steve Wilkes, we all know how that turned out. He was kind of a lame duck coach. He didn't seem to have what it took despite not really being put in a position to succeed. But that roster was just a disaster. It was very top-heavy. We all know who the stars are. Larry Fitzgerald, of course, has been a fixture for this franchise for 15 years. And then you have the the younger guys who are still getting up there, Chandler Jones, Patrick Peterson, David Johnson. Those guys all part of the team, but even with their talents, they couldn't do enough with the rest of this roster to make do. And Mike McCoy, as far as the offense was concerned, which was historically bad, I mean, it stacks up there with the 0-16 Detroit Lions a couple years ago. They scored less points than that team did, uh, just around 14 points per game. Mike McCoy was just a fraud of an offensive coordinator. Everything he kind of said that he was going to do, he did not do, and he kind of set this this organization back for the entire 2018 season. So it's, it, you know, what the team has really done this offseason, I know we'll get into it, and, and I just want to say real quick is, They are trying to really turn the page on 2018, but it was really kind of the years leading up to it where failed first round picks, you know, not solid draft classes from Steve Kime that had put them in that position. Uh, Steve Kime, didn't he deserve some credit for the playoff teams that were before all this? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he had a great run there. Him and Bruce Arians really worked in concert well together. And really, kind of knew what BA needed uh, to succeed, and he, you know, got a steal on Carson Palmer at the time. A lot of people didn't buy into Carson Palmer still having anything left in the tank, and he comes out there, and you know, he he kind of he navigates through a couple seasons, and then he has that 2015 season where he throws for 35 touchdowns. And if Cam Newton doesn't have the year that he does, Carson Palmer might have been the MVP. So, you know, you had a great defense along with that. Todd Bowles earned himself a head coaching position out of it. And then, uh, you know, Betcher was a solid defensive coordinator after that. Did a good job getting after the football <clears throat> and getting after the quarterback. But, uh, you know, Steve Kime kind of lost that Midas touch that he had early on. And sometimes, you know, in, in this league, in this day and age, it's all about making adjustments. And it seemed like the last three seasons you know after the cardinals had those heavy super bowl expectations which is weird to say because he seemed so far removed from that following 2015 an nfc championship appearance they go seven eight one and then they go eight eight and then they completely fall by the wayside last year and they go three and 13 so where's the real problem is it hiring in, ter- in terms of coaching is it player evaluations where, where did this all fall apart 
I think it's I think it's all above all the above. It's it's really just I, I think you really have to look at Steve Kime and the job that he's done or lack thereof over the last couple seasons. And you know I'm I think you're going to hear some me change my tune when we start to talk about the 2019 offseason. But really, what he did, he was, it was a failure of, of draft classes, especially at the top of the, those drafts. He was not having success. I mean, Robert Kimdichi was a guy who recently they declined the fifth-year option, so he's going to be done after four seasons, probably going to find somewhere else to play after next season. And then you have DJ Humphreys, your left tackle, a guy that you're going to, you want to rely upon to keep your quarterback you know, upright. DJ Humphreys hasn't been able to stay on the field. Whether or not that's his fault, he's just been a guy that's been plagued by injuries. He was he was a guy that didn't even see a snap in his first season. He was a first round pick. And then uh, I mean, you look across the board. Hassan Reddick, he goes. He's from Temple. He's a guy that they wanted to change positions coming out of college. And they used a 13th overall pick on Hassan Reddick. And then Josh Rosen. Sure, you know, you get a late second round pick for Josh Rosen, but you are pretty much punting on the 2018 draft where. You did have Christian Kirk, and then you did have Mason Cole, who's going to contribute on the offensive line. But the rest of your draft classes the last couple of years have been failures. So given the issues with the overall roster last season, what were the best and worst decisions made in free agency this year? You know, I thought that they did a pretty good job, kind of not necessarily bargain shopping in free agency. I mean, when you looked at the 2018 free agent class, that was a class that didn't produce any pro bowlers, which is a crazy statistic. But, you know, teams are getting wiser and smarter and really keeping the players that are are productive and signing them to long-term deals. And the guys that hit free agency aren't, they're, they're hitting free agency for a reason. So I thought that, you know, Steve Kime did a good job not going out there and spending too much money on guys who don't necessarily deserve it. But, I, I mean, I, I thought J.R. Sweezy coming over from Seattle was an upgrade, marginal upgrade over Mike Potty on the offensive line. Jordan Hicks playing the linebacker position, that's a big position of need that they had this offseason. He's going to be solid. He's going to be a great, you know, uh, locker room guy, and he can still do it on the field. He's in his prime. He's ready to kind of take over as one of the leaders on this defense. And I really like what they did in bringing Terrell Suggs. And if those who don't kind of know the Phoenix area, Terrell Suggs, grew up in the Phoenix, you know, metropolitan area. He went to college at ASU. He was a Sun Devil. And then he went to Baltimore. He had a really prestigious career, you know, playing for the Ravens. For him to kind of come back to Phoenix and finish his career, he's a great locker room guy as well. I like those picks, pickups, and nobody really broke the bank. I, I just think it was a good good move by, uh, by Steve Kime kind of playing free agency the way he did. Obviously, bringing back Larry Fitzgerald, that's a no-brainer. So he's back in the locker room. You look at the wide receiver position. They didn't do too much as far as wideouts are concerned. And that was a big positional need that they had. They go out and get Kevin White, who's one of the bigger busts than you know, the first round in the last couple of years from the Bears. But he's an athletic big guy. If you know, That's a very low risk, potential high reward for the Cardinals. Uh, I, like, I just kind of like that move. And if you look at that as the only move they made at the wide receiver position, sure, I don't like it. But they were able to do a lot in the draft to kind of supplement that position of need and they're looking pretty good now so i i mean it's it's tough to overlook the the big chalk free agent acquisition in uh in the linebacker position at jordan hicks so i mean i'd have to say that that's probably the best move but i also like jr sweezy just because he's kind of a swiss army knife across that offensive line now looking towards the front office and the draft and how it handled things leading up to it is the criticism levied at the Cardinals concerning how they handled Josh Rosen justified? Yes, absolutely. I mean, when the reports were coming out that they didn't really start to shop him and really have a game plan for what they were going to do until, you know, an hour and a half before the draft. You know, you, you can read into it. You can believe that for all you want, but that's still, there's there, there's no reason for it. I mean, they, it seemed like they were at the Miami Dolphins were just kind of, figuring out what they wanted to do in the second round. And then it was secondary what they were going to give the Cardinals uh, as, as far as compensation for Josh Rosen. So that that became uh, a really, really big problem for the Cardinals. And it could have become a bigger problem if they, didn't, if they moved on past the second round without getting compensation for him and him remaining on the roster. If they got in a third-round pick or a fourth-round pick, that would have just been bad optics for this team, especially a guy like Steve Keim who's had such a rough time as of late, despite you know the, the little successes this offseason. 
Um, I, I, it just wasn't handled well. I just, I mean, this is a team that had the number one pick basically since last October. So, mm-hmm. I mean, for, for them to say that they didn't know what they were going to do with the pick, that's kind of concerning to me. I mean, I think that's an indictment on the franchise. You, you, you would have, I mean, you go out, you get Cliff Kingsbury, who's a big swing for the fences at the at the head coaching position. Uh, and then everybody's kind of the most telegraphed move is that they're going to go for Kyler Murray. Um, I, I'd like to think that they have known knew all along, but it doesn't seem like it, and they're not making it sound like they knew that they were going to take Murray. So it's just a, just overall questionable and another kind of strike against the Cardinals in their front office and how they handled things. At the end of the day, though, as as they're moving forward, you just look at it as a you know sunk cost, and they're moving on, and Josh Rosen's getting an opportunity in Miami. And the Cardinals are moving on with their new, uh, you know, Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray uh, brain trust and, and package. And uh, it's exciting. It, it really is. I mean, listen, just from the outside looking in, just as an out-of-towner, it looks yeah. Bush League. Everybody and their brother knew that Kyler Murray was going to the Cardinals in, let's say, January. So it looks Bush League based on that, but it also looks really horrible to in terms of treatment of Josh Rosen. Horrible, awful. No, you're you're exactly right. I mean, it, I I couldn't have painted it a little bit, you know, any better than you, Bushley. That's absolutely a great way to put it. Especially since we're sitting there a week before the draft, and you know, Josh Rosen's there taking reps, uh, you know, in in voluntary workouts with Cliff Kingsbury, like he's going to be the guy. And I'm sure Rosen had no clue. He was just kind of a guy in purgatory, and he's kind of just floating around, not knowing what he's he where he's going to be next season. And this is coming off a of very trying 2018 rookie campaign where he was probably you know fifth out of five first round quarterbacks as far as production um this is a guy that's going to have to have a big bounce back season in his sophomore season with the dolphins to really prove that he belongs at the level and and i believe that he does i mean i thought josh rosen as far as how everything played out he 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 was just the consummate professional and couldn't have handled it any better especially coming off the tumultuous 2018 campaign than he did. I mean, that that was just, it was just an awful season. And then the way the off season's gone, it's just been brutal. And, uh, you know, he's somebody I'm rooting for going forward. And, you know, I think that the Cardinals fans absolutely are rooting for him. And a lot of people, you know, despite the excitement with the Kyler Murray Cliff Kingsbury contingent are, uh, really wanted kind of Rosen to get a second crack at this thing. But, uh, we move on. Well, you mean Josh Rosen doesn't deserve criticism for you know unfollowing the Cardinals on Twitter? <laughs> I mean, that's that, that's I'm something kidding. that I don't know. I don't know if you and I will understand it just because we're a little bit older. But maybe I I don't know. I mean, it's if that's something that he feels like he needs to do and he doesn't want to. If you if you follow, I mean, and I do because you know I follow mm-hmm. the team and cover the team. It's if you you're seeing kyler murray this kyler murray that every other post it's got to be a little bit uh i mean especially with how you were treated if you're somebody that's you know on scrolling your timeline that's got to be a little nauseating especially if you're a guy with as much uh confidence as, as josh rosen i mean i gotta be honest if i were josh rosen i would have unfollowed him too honestly yeah no doubt about I mean, it i mean why not i mean as, as silly as it's gonna become a headline news story the next day but that's the yeah. day and age that we live in so why did the Cardinals choose Cliff Kingsbury to take over this team anyways? I mean, given well, his performance at Texas Tech, why should anyone be confident he can lead the Cardinals' resurgence? From the outside looking in, you, you Rams fans are going to think this is hilarious, but they think he's going to be the next Sean McVay. I mean, that that's what they really I mean, Steve Kime was somebody who I think uh, a couple years ago, I, I don't think he would have played it any differently, but... Bruce Arians was was with the team, and he signed on as their head coach at the age of 60. And he had a lot of success. He had more success than anybody else ever had with the Arizona Cardinals franchise. He won double-digit games in his first three seasons. Of course, we talked about the NFC Championship appearance. But, you know, the writing was on the wall. This was not going to be something that was going to be a long thing for the Cardinals, that Bruce Arians was going to be their head coach. And I think Steve Kime kind of kept an eye on the future, and he knew about Sean McVay. When he was with the Washington Redskins organization, he was their offensive coordinator, and he wanted to make McVay the next Cardinals head coach, according to Chris Cooley, who's a guy who's in the know for the Redskins organization. And this was before Bruce Arians' last season. So, you know, McVay was somebody that was on his radar, and I feel like he probably felt like he missed out on somebody he knew about before everybody else did. And, you know, he didn't want to get, he didn't want to get, you know caught twice so 
He was looking for the next offensive genius, and he feels like Cliff Kingsbury can be that guy despite, you know, 35-40 and 40 record at Texas Tech and being fired from his alma mater on, in November. Not to mention quarterback conflicts. Yeah. By the way. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess I'm very critical of this. And if sure. you, everybody's looking for the next Sean McVay, but there really is only one Sean McVay. Right. And even if looking at Sean McVay's career, you just said he was with the Redskins. He has an NFL pedigree in terms of being on that sideline. Kingsbury's coming from Texas Tech where he was fired. It just right. blows my mind, and this is where they're going with head coaches now. He couldn't win more than eight games, and he had Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback for as long as he did. He had Baker Mayfield. He had the number one overall pick in the NFL draft and a Heisman Trophy winner. And, and you know, I know that Mayfield moved on before his tenure in college was over. He obviously went to Oklahoma and reached higher heights. But, man, I mean, to look at how many how much talent came through there and what the results were, you're absolutely right. I mean, you have to be skeptical if this is going to translate at all. I mean, he, he never won more than eight games as far as being the Red Raiders head coach. And then really didn't have a lot of success in the last couple of years he was there and is in his demise. So it is. it was a crazy road. You know, the, the Cliff Kingsbury kind of opened up Pandora's box for the, you know, the theater of absurd that, you know, a guy like Kyler Murray could become the number one overall pick. Because a guy like Cliff Kingsbury, you would never imagine he was going to be an NFL head coach after being fired from a Big 12 team in November. Backing up here, all that in mind, you have the draft, you have Kyler Murray. How do you grade, I guess so to speak, the Cardinals draft overall? I really thought that they finished strong. Um, you know, I was, it, we were all sitting there looking at the Josh Rosen saga as it continued into day two of the NFL draft. And he's sitting there, and he's still a member of the Cardinals, and Kyler Murray is as well. And then they use the second, you know, the first pick in the second round on Byron Murphy. It's a solid, solid selection. Uh, Murphy's, you know, a hard hitter. He's going to be a, a solid cornerback in this league. He's a local product out of Washington. You know, he's 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 filling a need that they've absolutely needed across the line. You know, Patrick Peterson, of course. Nobody throws at him. And then you've got that cornerback opposite, Patrick Peterson, and they haven't been able to fill that void for a long time. They got Robert Alford on a free agent deal this offseason, which is a good cost-efficient deal. But then Byron Murphy is a guy coming out of UW that I think is going to really push the envelope, you know, Alford for the starting job. And then also he could probably play that slot corner position. That's great. And then, you know, the Rosen pick turns into Andy Isabella, unknown wide receiver, Steve Kime, blue light special. He likes to take the small school guys, but he's just an absolute burner. He can play with Christian Kirk and really just be a guy that's tough to keep tabs on. Uh, You know, as far as, and then Hakeem Butler was a guy that was one of the top receivers in the draft. He falls to the fourth round. I like what they did at the wide receiver position. They address a lot of positions of need. They get Deontay Thompson, a safety out of Alabama. He's probably still a little raw. Uh, but I, I really think that they did a great job uh, with the draft this season. I could be wrong, and I could, it could be fool's gold. But I, I really think Steve Kime did a great job uh, with it, especially when you look at coupling Murray with Cliff Kingsbury. If you're going to go that direction, then do it. Just put, push all your chips in the middle of the table. And I would say that they have you know a, a B-plus draft overall. All right, with all that in mind, where the Cardinals rank in the NFC West right now and how many games oh, you see the schedule? You know, that's it, all that being said, it's it's with all this, this turnover, it could still be a very trying time in the desert in 2019. It's, you know, Cliff Kings, I think before the draft, Cliff Kingsbury, the additions from free agency, Vegas had them at five over under, you know, win, you know, the win totals. And I don't think it's, it's reached higher than that. And, uh, I, you know, I, I would be very skeptical to think that this is just going to automatically, you know, right out of the gates. And, and they played Detroit, who's a very winnable game at home uh, to open up their 2019 schedule I, I this the schedule is brutal, especially when you look after week five. They go on the road and they have a lot of early kickoffs, and then they have Murderers Row in December, where I believe they face off with the Rams twice. Um, if they don't get off to a good start, it's going to be another long year. And you know, f- five and eleven would be 
it would probably be it definitely in record you know it's a two-game improvement and this team really has to in this frame base has to kind of curb their expectations that this isn't just going to be an easy fix uh and and they would probably benefit from another high draft pick so you know five and eleven or, or six and ten uh or if you if they even approach 500 for the season i think that's a win for cliff kingsbury i think that's a win for kings cliff uh steve keim and in this organization so uh, I'm, I'm, you know, as much as I like what they've done this offseason, I don't think it's going to translate immediately to wins and losses. It's not going to translate like Sean McVay did in his first season with the Rams. All right. So, Bo, can you tell people where they can find you and, and especially on social media and your show? Yeah, just uh, at Bob Brack on Twitter. Easiest way to just put in your search queue at B-O-B-R-A-C-K on Twitter. That's the best uh, want to follow me there and then also listen to us locked on cardinals which is found wherever podcasts are found of course apple uh google play spotify uh that's probably the best if you want to hear some football talk so uh that's that's basically the best place to go all right man thanks so much for coming on i'm guessing we'll be talking again come uh come break through season when it's time for this rams and cardinals to play looking forward to it thank, thanks a lot thanks again for calling and take care thanks Derek. So, Mike, real quick here, I have lots of feelings about Kyler Murray in terms of how the Cardinals went about this and Josh Rosen. I didn't like it, but that's all done now. Now we have a Cardinals team that is trying to come back here, trying to make a difference. What are your thoughts on where the Cardinals are going for 2019? Well, it's simple. If uh, Coach Kingsbury and Kyler Murray can recapture the college magic if you will that he had as the quarterback guru coach if you will and if Kyler Murray can come in and, and run that style of offense that he did under Lincoln Kennedy at Oklahoma combination of something new new wrinkle and the ability to to make plays then they're going to have something if not then it's going to be a dumpster fire and they both will be <laughs> on their way pretty quick I, I really, I've said a couple of times, Mike, I don't really have faith that Kingsbury is going to be the guy out there. I'm sorry. You know, you, you went to your alma mater and you couldn't handle it there with all, you know, if you, if you are your head coach at your alma mater and you are the offensive genius you, you are said to be, you're believed to be, I don't see how you could struggle like he did there. I'm sorry. I just don't have faith that you would then move to the NFL and be successful, at least not immediately. So I'm not sure the, the the thought process behind this hiring. I just don't see. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe my mind is so set that this is a really bad idea that I'm fooled. Yeah, I, I think what you're getting at, and what I I believe is just like you want to have a guy. At some time, you know, it's like me. I'm a new quote unquote first year head coach. I get it. You know, I got some experience, but. First-year head coach is still first-year head coach. I don't know with Arizona, given their situation, you wanted a first-year head coach that wasn't a little more proven. That's kind of where it's like, okay, did they just get caught up in the hype? I mean, I you know, I don't know how that, that worked where typically you get a guy like McVay who's somewhat coming off of uh, having a hot hand at something off of something positive. So that's to me is where it's, it's just kind of weird. I mean, that's what everybody's doing though. They're really trying to find the next Sean McVay, but the reality no is you're not, there is no next Sean McVay. There's just Sean McVay. <laughs> exactly. Right. I mean, I mean, he's, he's a special dude. And this, there's, I mean, they, what was his name? What's the head coach up there in Chicago? Uh, um, I'm, I'm, you guys know who he is. I'm losing off my mind right now, but he's he's his own guy, and the, all these guys come from different backgrounds. Right, McVeigh has his own gifts. He cultivated those gifts with the Redskins, an NFL team, and right away he comes in as a great job with the Rams. What what does Kingsbury do to cultivate his gifts for the NFL while at Texas Tech? I don't know. I just don't see it. Yeah, I don't know. And, you know, you have a little bit, too, with the way he went to SC for basically a couple weeks. 
You know what I mean? So then you're getting into like character things. Well, why would you go there and try to use them as leverage? You know what I mean? Now it just starts speaking to a whole lot of different things. But if he could somehow capture, you know, when he had uh, Manziel, when he had Mahomes and those things, and those guys did throw it all around the yard. And, you know, we're now in a situation in the NFL. They like to see points and scoring. If you can somehow capture, you know, as they say, genie in a bottle, then they've got something. But it's the NFL, and we all know it's that's a step up, and everybody just can't make that jump. Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy is the head coach of Chicago. And there's no other Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy's Matt Nagy. And, hey, Sean McVay is Sean McVay. You can't – everybody's looking for the new, the new guy, the new star. Just find a good football coach. A coach who knows what they're doing and will use his strengths to make your organization better. And I'm not sure this is the case. I think the Cardinals may have made a panic hire here. We'll find out. All right, folks, it is time for us to hit the road. But we're looking for sponsors to so reach out to us at RamsTop1945 at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We have a media kit ready to get out to you. Also, and I think this is the last time we're going to do this for now, um, we do have another Angels podcast out there, Talking Halos. Check that out as well. I get to host that. Yours truly. I'm an Angels fan, and we're still looking to do a Dodgers podcast here if we can find the right fit. We've been working on it, but we want to find the right fit for it. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TalkRams and on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. You can find me on Twitter at DC Apollo. You can find Mike at OneDuke23. And, of course, the Twitter feed overall, again, TalkRams. Don't forget us on Apple Music, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Android, all those wonderful places. And, of course, iebeatradio.com plays our shows on Sundays and Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. So, for Mike and the entire Rams Talk staff, this is Derek C. Apollo saying take it easy, have a great one. We are out of here. Outie. Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rival. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. This episode is sponsored by Schwans.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details.